You know, we're starting a new series today. It's going to be a little different. I'm excited about it. Um, we're going to be talking about spiritual gifts. Has anybody heard an extended sermon series on spiritual gifts before? I've heard, I've never heard a whole series on it before, honestly. I've heard one-off messages. I've read books and various things, but, um, and so it's unique in that, especially some of the areas we're going to cover as we talk about it. I mean, we're going to look at all the spiritual gifts, and we're going to look at all the passages of Scripture, and we're going to uh, really go after them and see what they are and, and how we can know what they are and how we can know what spiritual gifts we personally have. Um, because spiritual gifts are, are very different things oftentimes than what we think they are. Because spiritual gifts are different than skills and abilities. Spiritual gifts aren't skills. Spiritual gifts aren't abilities. They're, they're a completely different category. You know, singing is an ability. Some people are born with it. They can develop it, but they're born with it. And some people can't, are not born with that ability. I, w- I, I was very tempted right there to ask if you know anybody sitting on your row who is not gifted with that ability uh, right there. Volunteers. I wasn't going to have you raise your hand, but thank you for that. All right. Um, uh, singing is an ability that, you, that some people innately have and then can develop later on. But gifts are different than abilities. Uh, but there are also skills. And skills are different from gifts and different from abilities. Skills are something that can be learned and then developed. Uh, like, like baseball. Children you know, are taught to throw a baseball. They're taught and they, they can develop that later on. Different things. that It's a skill that is learned and then developed. But gifts are very different than both abilities and skills, uh, 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 and skills. Gifts are neither one of those things. They're their own unique thing. And we're going to look at what gifts are and how Scripture defines them, who has them, what they do, how they can be utilized, and, and what is the point of them. And as I've been working through these, um, this series, working through spiritual gifts and what it is, God kind of laid the, the, the groundwork and outlines for this back six weeks ago uh, in me. I was thinking through this, and I thought of uh, a, a, a story that I had actually forgotten. Um, I was mowing my yard one time, and mowing the yard, I have a riding mower, and we mow the section that's next to the, the, uh, the property we have, uh, kind of, because there's a creek over there, and there's all kinds of little critters that come up from the creek, snakes and whatnot, and we, I mow it over to keep all those critters away from our house and where the kids play. Um, I've mowed over several snakes. Um, I, if you love snakes, I'm sorry about that, but, you know, if I see a snake in the way, I'm going to, you know, do that. Um, and uh, so I, we mow that, and I was mowing one day, and I'm riding along, and I'm mowing, and uh, all of a sudden, it got difficult to mow. Uh, and this was a couple years ago, uh, and I couldn't figure out why. I checked all the levers. They're all right. The mower's running fine. It's got plenty of gas. What's going on? The oil levels get, what, what, I don't understand. And, uh, and so I, I, I turn off the blade, turn off the mower, and I hop off, and I start looking around underneath. Did I hit something? What's going on? And uh, I uh, went to change the, the height of the mower deck to be able to look underneath, but it wasn't adjusting properly. And so I, I got down there and looked, pulled out my phone and shined the flashlight under there, and the front part of the deck was no longer attached to the mower. I thought, well, what's, that's weird. How does that pop? I don't even know how that pops off. I've never been under there before. I mean, 
now, having changed the blade multiple times, you figure this out, but at that point, I hadn't even changed the blades yet. Uh, and so I, I saw that there was this metal piece that was hanging off the front of the mower uh, that had a little angle on it. Like the metal piece came down, it had an angle on it, and the mower had this uh, little piece that came up with a hole in it that, okay, that's what the metal piece is supposed to go into. So I raise the mower deck, and I stick that metal piece in, and I start to mow for a little bit, and then it happens again. I think, well, this is frustrating. This is poor design here. I don't know who designed this mower, but they did a terrible job. And so I hop off, and I look again, and it turns out there's a little hole in the side of that metal piece that once it goes through the mower deck, there's supposed to be a pin that goes through that metal piece to keep it attached to the mower deck. And uh, I start looking around all, and it, all the yard. Has anybody ever had something fall off your mower, and you start looking around the yard? You know there's no way you're going to find it, but you look anyway. A few of you nodding, yes, you do, because you're like, I'm, this would be the one time I find that thing in the yard. And so I'm searching, and I'm out there, you know, 15, 20 minutes, can't find it. This pen's gone. And I think, well, there's no way I'm going to be able to mow the yard. Uh, and it was over on the first section I was mowing, you know. I mean, it takes three and a half hours, mow the yard, and I couldn't even do the first little section. And so I thought, well, I don't know how this is going to work. So I popped that piece back in. I start thinking, brainstorming, how can we jerry-rig this deal? You know, I don't want to put, like, something down there because it gets kind of hot. I didn't want to maybe put, put zip ties down there. I mean, it'd probably be fine, but just in case. I didn't want it to melt or whatever, catch fire. So what I ended up doing is I went in. I should have taken a picture of it, uh, but with all the rain and stuff, the yard was pretty muddy, so I didn't mow this weekend. So I didn't go down there and take a picture of it. But uh, I got a nail, a little nail, and I stuck it in that hole uh, where the pin was supposed to go, and I bent the end of the nail to keep it in place. Uh, and it worked. You know, there was this, uh, and so I was able to, and it worked so well that it's been there now two years. <laughs> same nail. I've changed the blades twice in those two years. You still have the same nail attached. Uh, now that I tell you this, next weekend I'm going to go mow, and that nail's going to fall out. Uh, and I'll, I'll post a picture if that happens. I guarantee you it's going to happen. And so I've got that nail popped in there. And so there was this little pin, this little piece in there that I, for several years, didn't even know it was in there. But it was essential. It was an essential part of the mower apparatus, and I didn't even know it existed, but it was there. The creator, the maker of the mower, put that pin in there so that the mower could function properly. This little bitty tiny piece, and I had no idea that it was even there. And so what we're going to look at today in spiritual gifts is some of us may not often know the role we play in God's plan, but we are just as essential as any other part of God's plan. That pin in the mower was just as essential as the blades. The blades do the cutting, but if the pin isn't there, the blades don't cut anything. The mower's not moving if the pin's not in. And so we're all essential. You are essential. And spiritual gifts uh, is where we're going to be and seeing God's nature and how he has equipped all of his believers in this. We're going to be today in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you're using a Bible on the pew rack, it's on page 959, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, what's interesting about 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians is this is a church in the city of Corinth that Paul started. Paul, the apostle, went around all over the place preaching the gospel, telling people about Jesus, and he told a bunch of people in Corinth about Jesus, and they got together and started this church. And he was 
the founder of the thing. Got it gone, then he went off to tell people about Jesus other places. And as tends to happen, when you get any human beings in one place together, uh, sin comes to the top. And the church got all kinds of messed up. Uh, all kinds of messed up. Even to the point of Paul almost listing people's names that were doing outright sins and saying, this people are in the church doing these sins and you people are letting them do it. Uh, and so what ends up happening, is, as we're going to see actually today, is the people, a couple of the faithful believers in this church wrote Paul a letter and said, hey, stuff is going crazy in the church. I mean, people are, are, are nuts, and there's people doing this and that, and people really looking down on these people, and people hating on these people, and there's, there's this crazy stuff going on. And so Paul is writing 1 Corinthians in response to a letter that somebody wrote him from the church. And so he's he addresses a whole bunch of things, but he wants to make sure he addresses everything that is listed in the letter that was sent to him. And one of the things that people, the question they wrote about was spiritual gifts. And so he takes this little portion here, one of the larger chunks of this letter, 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, and he addresses spiritual gifts here. So we're going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Let's start in verse 1. Paul writes, Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. So he says, now concerning. He says that several times in this letter, 1 Corinthians. He says, now concerning. As, you know, that's what makes us think he's referring back to a letter they wrote him. Now concerning that thing he wrote me, spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be uninformed. Now, he, he's going to... He's not going to lay out everything that ever existed on spiritual gifts. He's not going to lay out everything that God had intended with spiritual gifts. He's going to give them a brief, a brief overview of spiritual gifts. So look at verse 4. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Now we're going to keep we're going to read this whole section and go back and digest it, but I want I did want to point out the thing he repeats here over and over again. That there's all kinds of different gifts, there's all kinds of different acts of service, there's all kinds of different activities. Uh, different opportunities to do things for God, different opportunities to use our spiritual gifts for God. And all of us have different ones, but it is the same God who gives them out. Okay? That's what he's saying. Even though they're different, God is one and the same. And God's got an overarching plan in how to use these. Verse 8, he gives us some, illust some illustrations. For to one is, uh, or back up, sorry, verse 7, which is the key to the whole passage. Verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. I'm going to read that again. We're going to go on. I don't want to dive too hard into that yet. We are going to get into it, though. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit, which means demonstration, the revealing of the Spirit, for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions, 
That's a word we all use every day, right? Apportions. Who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now, I want to address something right off the bat. There are some people who are uncomfortable with some of these gifts. And so there's an explanation that has floated around in not just church circles, but very highfalutin scholarly circles, that there are some spiritual gifts that only existed in the first century. The problem that I have with that is that Scripture doesn't say that. And if Scripture said it, great. I'm all for it. And if you know a place it does, please come and tell me. Raise your hand right now. I mean, we'll st- we'll, I, you'll change my mind. I mean, right now. But there's no place that I've been able to find where God ever said that's the case. From what I've been able to find in reading a lot on spiritual gifts is that is more of a man-centered idea than something drawn from Scripture. And there's a great struggle there in all of our lives, not just on this topic of spiritual gifts, when we try to take a theme that God brings out, a biblical principle, and filter it through our own understanding of the world, when the reverse should be what's happening. Scripture and God's plans should be what we filter our experience through. And I can't find a place in Scripture where God ever says some of these gifts stopped when the apostles died. Uh, and I mean, I'll just lay it out for you. The gifts they say that that is the case of, they say it's prophecy, they say it's tongues, and they say it's healing. Uh, mainly because some of them say, I've never seen it, and so it can't be true. But from the Scripture that I read is I don't ever read Paul or Jesus um, or Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, say it stopped when John, the apostle, the last apostle alive, when he died, that was it, it cut off. That was the apostolic age is what they call it. That's when it stopped. They all just stopped there. I don't see that in Scripture. And so when he talks about all the gifts and he lists these gifts, he's not listing an exhaustive list of all the gifts that ever existed. He's just giving a, an illustration here. Is, is He's saying these are some of the gifts that exist. And so you might ask then, and be uncomfortable with the answer. Do all of these gifts still exist today? I would say yes. I would say, and first and foremost, I would say yes because of Scripture. Because Scripture doesn't say they stopped. And so how can I put a limit on what God can still do if he never says they stopped? In addition to that, I've personally seen all three of those gifts that some people think are weird. I've seen them. Seen them in action. You've seen prophecy? I've seen it. I've seen somebody say it, seen it come true. I've seen healing, seen it. Tongues, we're going to get into what we're talking about with tongues too. That's going to make a lot of us uncomfortable. But we're going to get into what scripture says. And scripture, again, I got to say it again, should always be our filter. I should always, about life, about everything. But when it comes to theological matters, why would we filter anything theological through any lens except scripture? And so if Scripture doesn't define when gifts stop, I have a problem saying that certain gifts did stop. If Scripture doesn't say it, we can't say that it happened as far as gifts stopping. And so that's where I land on that. You may land somewhere else. That's, that's fine. You, 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 you walk that path. And we can walk in disagreement on theological matters all day long as long as we agree on the gospel. As long as we agree on the gospel. Okay, 
So that's where I stand on these things. I can't find it anywhere that any of these gifts stop. And Paul lists these ones out here. Okay? That, that's, a, that's a PS. That's bonus material. That's, that's extras on the disc. Okay? Let's get back to this text. Spiritual gifts. Varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. Now, something we've got to understand walking into this is two specific things. Paul outlined in a different letter, a letter to the Romans in Romans chapter 8, that if you belong to Christ, you have his Holy Spirit. That's in Romans 8, verse 9 and 14. If you belong to Christ, you have his Spirit. So what that means is the second you become a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. That is God's Spirit living in us. God's Spirit that has existed as a part of the Trinity all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. God's Spirit is with us. Paul says that if you belong to Christ, you have his spirit. In addition to that, you see there in verse 7, that if you have the spirit, you also have gifts. So if you are a Christian, according to Paul in Romans chapter 8, you have God's spirit. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, if you have his spirit, then you have spiritual gifts. You have them. You may not know what they are. I talked to somebody not too long ago who'd been a believer for 70 plus years and did not know what their spiritual gift was. And that may be you. That's fine. We're going to walk through that. Be here every Sunday these next few weeks, and we're going to walk through it and examine it and see what God, what, how God has gifted all of us. Every believer has spiritual gifts. Now, I want to examine a few things. We're going to get, is it okay if we get a little deeper in, in Scripture than we normally do? Not that we don't normally get deep, but we're going to get, like, Greek deep, all right? I don't often throw a lot of Greek at you, but I'm not going to today either, but we are going to dig into what some of these definitions are because I was really surprised as I dug into this. Uh, here in verse uh, 4, I guess 4 through 6, really, that word varieties he uses there is unique, I discovered, because the word that Paul uses there for varieties is the exact same word that he uses in verse 11 for apportions, for apportions, to, you know, give out, divide up. So the word varieties he uses is that same word in verse 11. I thought, that's interesting. That's very interesting. So I went back and started researching that word. What's it about? It means literally to divide and distribute to persons on the basis of certain implied distinctions or differences. So you could translate it there is instead of saying varieties, or varieties of gifts, you could say there are different gifts that are distributed for different reasons. There are different gifts that are distributed for different reasons, different gifts distributed for different reasons. So you have spiritual gifts that I do not have. I've got spiritual gifts that you do not have. And there's something you have to also understand, too, that I said a minute ago. Every believer has spiritual gifts. So that means parents, if you have a nine-year-old kid who's a believer in Christ, they have spiritual gifts. And they probably have spiritual gifts that you don't possess. Oftentimes, the church has been guilty of this. We have been guilty of this at times, of a young person having a spiritual gift, and we overlook them because of their age. Whether they're in their 20s, their teens, or their single digits. If Christ saved them, they have spiritual gifts and can contribute to the body just as much as you can, just as much as I can. They've been saved and gifted in the exact same way. They got the same spirit I got. And when we overlook them, we're overlooking the spirit that's within them. And we can't do that. So, Every believer has different spiritual gifts. And it's been my experience with spiritual gifts that 
I've rarely, I don't know if I've ever come across an individual who just has one spiritual gift. It's usually you have a few prominent ones and you've got several others by degrees or percentages. You've got several. Uh, you may have several that are pr- more prominent than others, but you've got uh, uh, several there that God may bring to the forefront at different seasons of your life. And so he distributes these gifts to different people for different reasons. There's reasons that he gifted you in a certain way that he did not gift me. There's reasons for that. And so now look down at verse 6. Look at what he says there. So there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all. The word empowers is also interesting. That that is an action that has been done with a possible focus on the energy that it takes to do the action. But what he's talking about here in verse 6, there's varieties of activities. What's being implied is that there's all kinds of opportunities for us to fulfill, but they're not actions yet because they haven't been done yet. They're potential actions. They're opportunities for us to do something for God, opportunities to do something for the Lord in, in his name, for his purposes. We've been empowered. Uh, these opportunities have been given to us to fulfill, to do for God. Oh, you see there? Yeah, I forgot to put that in there. Uh, this, is, this would be a translation of the, taking those two definitions we just looked at. There are activities distributed for different reasons, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. The same God gives them to us. So he gives you opportunities to fulfill your spiritual gifts and use them that he's not giving me. He's given you special opportunities, unique experiences. He's planted you in the job you have. He's planted you in the family you're in to, to expend your spiritual gifts in a way that I never could. And so he's given us all different opportunities, different experiences for his purposes. And so it, you got to think about that in terms of what God's doing is sometimes what we end up doing is we judge somebody else's actions based upon our experiences when we haven't had the opportunities or experiences they have. And by prejudging them, we are laying out our prejudice on who they are and that they are making a wrong decision for God when we have no idea how, where God has placed them, how God has gifted them, or what God's speaking through them. What we need to be worried about is what God has given to me and how God has gifted me, what opportunities he's given me, and I need to be fulfilling what God has placed before me way before I ever think about what God's done for somebody or how God has gifted somebody else and them not fulfilling their purpose. I don't need to be laying out that judgment on them. Jesus said, don't do that. Don't be judging somebody else based upon your limited knowledge of them and their experience. Focus on how God has placed you, where God has placed you, and what he has placed in you. You know, it's like this. Katie, will you hand me that little box right there, that spangled box? My wife is such an encouragement and a support. She hands me boxes, and she does all, way more than that. She is the supportive thing that makes us function every moment. This is a puzzle. It's a Captain America puzzle. You can't tell what kind of children I have in my house. Uh, this was actually one that one of our children was doing yesterday. The puzzle's got all kinds of different pieces. Some pieces may seem more prominent than other pieces. You know, I mean, when it comes to Captain America, you're looking for, like, here's a piece of a star. That's a prominent piece of a Captain America puzzle. That's right on the middle of his chest. You know where that piece goes. That's a prominent piece right out front. Here's a piece of a shield, Captain America. He's got a shield. You know where that piece goes. All right. You got all these pieces that are obvious, but then you've got pieces like this one. You've got a little blue on them and a little, I mean, you can look at, I don't even know what that really is. looks like a Band-Aid. 
never seen Captain America wear a Band-Aid. I don't know how that piece got in there. But anyway, this is in the puzzle. And you look at this piece. Now, if we were to illustrate this, and if this piece, if I were this piece, and I see these other pieces, the piece with the shield and the piece with the star or, or a piece with an eyeball, you know, that's his face. There it is with his eyeball face. I know where that piece goes. That's a prominent piece right in the middle. But here's me down here with a little blue and what looks like a Band-Aid on a puzzle that I don't see a Band-Aid. I don't know where I fit in this puzzle. I, it feels weird. It feels unique. I, maybe the designer of the puzzle didn't know what he was doing. And this is just a random Band-Aid piece that got shoved in here. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what's up. But if you look closely at the piece, you discover something. What kind of piece is this? It's a corner piece. What, are some, what is one of the very first pieces you look for when you do a puzzle? A corner piece. Corner piece. Even though the eyeball and the shield and the star, they're essential parts of the puzzle. I don't know if there's a more first essential piece than the corner. Even though it feels weird and you may not understand it at the time because you can't see the whole picture. But the point isn't that I see the whole picture. The point's that God sees the whole picture. The point isn't that I understand why God gifted me the way he did. The point isn't that I understand even why God gave me the opportunities I have and he gave you the opportunities you have. The point isn't that I know everything. When we try to know everything, we try to take God's place. The point isn't that I know everything. The point is that I trust God with where he's placed me. And I use what he's given me in a piece that I may not totally understand. And I live it and embrace it. Because honestly, if we were going to be honest with ourselves, how God has gifted us and where he's placed us may never be explained in our lifetime. You want an illustration? You want, you want Job. Job lost everything. Lost his kids, lost his fortune, lost uh, all his, his uh, animals, lost all his servants, but the, one who, the ones who were sent back to tell him that he lost everything. The only thing he did not lose was his wife who said, it's better that you would die than live. Just give it up. Just curse God and die. But Job wouldn't do it. And you know, at the end of the book of Job, if you've made it through Job and you get through all his friends saying all their mess, and Job, honestly, at times, Job didn't always say the right thing. He said wrong things throughout what he was saying sometimes. He was prideful, just like his friends were. But you get to the end, and God shows up, and he's, God says what he says, and God restores to Job all these amazing things. Uh, he restores kids to Job. He restores his fortune to Job uh, twice over. It, Job never gets an explanation. He never gets told why. He never gets told why he lost everything. I mean, we as the reader can see it because right there in Job chapter 1 and Job chapter 2, we know that it's Satan who did it to him. But Job doesn't get to see any of that. The explanation is beyond Job's perception. He didn't know why it happened. He never found out. I mean, maybe now in heaven he understands and he can see it, but at the time he didn't know it. And that you may never know why God gifted you the way he gifted you. You may never know why he made you a corner with a Band-Aid piece on that you don't even think goes in the puzzle. You may never know. But it's not for you to know. It's not for me to know. It's just for me to live as God designed me to live and what he's given me to live. 
It's not for me to try to figure everything out. It's just for me to trust that God has figured everything out, that he knows how the puzzle fits together. I know this, all these pieces work and fit together because I saw my son do it yesterday. I know it works. I know it fits together. Right now, looking at it, I've got most of the pieces turned over. I don't see any other Band-Aid pieces. I don't know how it works, but I know it does because I saw it was put together yesterday. And so it comes, I know God's going to work all this out. I know he is because I trust him. I don't understand it, but I know him. And I trust him. And so when it comes to your gifts, when it comes to your, like he said there in verse 6, your opportunities, your activities that nobody else has but you, do you trust them enough with that to not complain that you don't have what somebody else has? You haven't been gifted like somebody else has been given, uh, gifted. You haven't been given the opportunities that somebody else has been given. You've been doled out with what at times seems like, you know, the runt of the litter when it comes to life. But God is still with you. The same spirit is with you as is with somebody else who's got a more prominent piece. He's still there. He's still with you. Look at verse 7. Because we know to each is given the manifestation of the spirit. The manifestation. The manifestation. That word means, literally, to cause something to be fully known by revealing clearly and in some detail. So to cause something to be fully known by revealing clearly and in some detail. So I think I do have the, yeah, there we go. Uh, so this is what that translation would look like. To each is given the clear and detailed revealing of the Holy Spirit for the advantage of the church. So to every single person who has the Spirit of God, that's every believer, has the Spirit of God, every believer has the Spirit of God, has been given a clear and detailed revealing of the Spirit for the advantage of God's church, His church. Every, every believer. So how is the Holy Spirit revealed? Through the usage of your gifts. How does somebody see the Spirit in you? By your usage of the gifts he's placed in you. He, he says to each, that's every single Christian, every single believer has been given this clear and detailed revealing of the Spirit for the advantage of the church. Talking specifically on spiritual gifts. The spiritual gift is a clear and detailed revealing of the Spirit. Clear and detailed revealing of the Spirit. And then he gives these, these different examples. Uh, an utterance of wisdom, an utterance of knowledge, faith. Now, you understand, there's some gifts that some people are gifted in that are unique and, and more so than others. Now, we all have to have faith in order to be followers of Jesus. But some have a unique gift of faith throughout their whole lives or for certain seasons or for certain moments and he lists that as a spiritual gift. So a word of wisdom, word of knowledge, uh, faith, healing, miracles. Could healing be miracles? Yes, miracles could be more than healing, though. Uh, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, uh, uh, various kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues. It's all of these gifts, verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit. All all of them that he lists, all of those gifts are empowered by one and the same Spirit. They are empowered by him, empowered by him. Now, if we take the, how we've translated these words from verses 4, 5, 6, and 7 and, and put, plug them in there to verse 11, this is what that translation would look like. Beat me to it. We're in sync. Good job. One and the same Spirit places all these gifts distributing them to each person individually as he plans. I want you to notice something unique. I'll leave that up for a sec. Something I loved. It bothered me in some of the translations that I read. 
is instead of he in that verse, they put it. The Holy Spirit is a he because the Holy Spirit is God. And what's unique is the way Paul, and, and, and the way I've, I've lined this verse out is the way it's lined out in the, the original language. And so this is the order that it is in the original language. And so the he refers to the Spirit. And so what's so unique about this is that the planning of the spiritual gift is done by the Spirit. The Spirit does the planning, and he distributes those gifts to each person as he has planned. So he gave you spiritual gifts in your context, in your experience, life experience, with your skills, with your abilities. He gave you specific gifts because he has a plan for you to use those gifts. A plan for you to use those gifts. And if you're still here, he's still working in you. He still has a plan for you. You're not gone yet. He's still got gifts in you to be able to use. And he's still going to use them through you. He's not done until, or you're not done until he's done with you. God has a plan. And he has a big plan. He has a big purpose, overarching like this puzzle, with all the pieces fitting together to make one giant picture of his grace and his mercy for the world. And you play a significant, essential part in that plan, which is why he gave you gifts to use for his purpose and his plan. His plan specific that it's designed for you. And you know what else? He designed you the way you are. He designed you that way. He designed you that way. You may look in the mirror or you may experience your life and all you see are the negatives. That's the way we tend to be wired as human beings. But do those negatives matter? In a thousand years, are you going to care about some of that stuff? As we're sitting around a campfire with Moses and Joshua and Paul and James. Are you going to care that much in a thousand years? Although I was talking to somebody this week. I've said that before, sitting around a campfire in a thousand years. They said, no, in a thousand years we'll be sitting on a beach. I said, maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe we'll sit on a beach with a campfire. But we'll be there and we'll be talking to all these people and the greatness of God. And uh, God, of how he laid out all of these pieces to reveal his glory to to. Uh, a people that he loves, a people that according to Scripture, Paul himself uh, and, and Peter, God wills all people to be saved. It says it in Scripture. That's the exact verbiage. He wills all people to be saved, but some people choose not to believe. And he sent us to use our gifts to not just encourage one another as believers, but to build up his church and point people to Jesus at every opportunity to utilize those gifts. So God designed you the way you are. God planned for you. And his spirit, God's spirit, reveals himself through you in the form of spiritual gifts that are to be used by you for the the growth and the strengthening of his church. Both for the growth and for the strengthening of his church, the usage of your spiritual gifts. And God doesn't waste anything. He doesn't waste anything in what he gave you. He doesn't waste anything anything. But let's drill down on that a little further. God doesn't waste his time. And so when God's given you gifts and God's placed you where he's placed you, he didn't waste time in placing you there. He didn't waste time in gifting you there. He didn't waste time in shutting the door on that opportunity that you really wanted. That's not a waste of time to God. He did that for a reason, or he allowed it to happen for a reason. And so we move through that into what God has planned, into the peace that he designed us to be. Wherever it may fall in his puzzle, 
We have to trust him enough that he knows what he's doing more than I do. Trust him enough to know that he is God and I am not. He designed me the way he designed me with the gifts that he gave me to do what he wants me to do. And that's what we all have to, have to grasp and have to embrace because God planned for you. God planned for you. God designed you. And God gifted you to change his world. God planned for you. God designed you. And God gifted you to change his world if we live out what he's placed within us. And he, 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 he did all of those things in the planning and designing and gifting in you to fulfill that purpose in a way that only you can. I cannot fulfill God's purpose for you. I'm not gifted the way you're gifted. I'm not sitting in your opportunities, in your experiences. I'm not planted where you're planted. I cannot fulfill it for you. You can only fulfill God's purpose for you. You can only do it. You, can, you say, man, but I messed up yesterday, and, and uh, I don't know what I'm going to do. How am I going to get back on track? Well, the thing is, your mess up didn't catch God by surprise. And the fact that you're still here means he's not done using you yet. And so keep putting one foot in front of the other and moving forward in wherever God has placed you. And don't stop. Don't stop. Keep moving where God is. Even if you, you, you've got to move from a run to a walk, from a walk to a crawl, from a crawl to just, just everything you can, just keep moving forward in where God has put you. Keep using the gifts he's given you and don't ever stop. Because what I've come to discover is one of the greatest tools of the enemy is distraction. And he will use it through temptation and he will use it through pride and he will use it through other people speaking into your life. And he will do anything he can, even messing with your mind as God is speaking to your heart right now in the moment. The enemy is trying to distract you and pull you away into something else. He was doing it to me right there this morning as I was standing on the front row. He will do anything to keep you distracted from where God has placed you and what he has promised you and where he is, uh, uh, what he has put in you in his gifts. The enemy doesn't want you to see what God wants you to see. The enemy doesn't want you to go where God wants you to go. And so he's going to do everything in his power to distract you from what God has put in you. The great C.S. Lewis said that in his screw tape letters with one demon writing to another demon. Just if you can't do anything at the very base root of all temptation, just distract him. Keep him busy enough that he doesn't know what God wants him to do. So we've got to pursue God, pursue Jesus, and understand that he planned, he designed, he gifted for his purpose. And he put everything together, these special gifts, these, this, this plan, this design, he put them in me in a way that only I can open, only I can fulfill, only I can do. And then he put all of us together in the church, in the individual local church, to fulfill that purpose together. To work together, you using your gift, and 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 me using my gift, and the children's church workers using their gift. Everybody using their gift for God's purpose. For, he said there, the common good, which literally means for the advantage of the church. For its advantage, for its pursuit, for its growth, for its strengthening, for its encouragement. For its encouragement. For its encouragement building up, the strengthening, the encouragement. So when we're using our gifts together, we can fulfill the reason God's placed us here in our job, in our family, in our neighborhood, with our friends, in our church. We can fulfill why God has placed us here. 
So you need to understand, God planned for you, designed you, gifted you. You are valuable to the almighty creator of everything. And he gifted you for a purpose, planned for you for a purpose, designed you for a purpose. You are loved by him. And he wants you to live, honestly, the best life possible, which is a life in him, a life abundant, a life abundant according to his will and his plan. It may look like nothing we ever imagined, just like 2020 looks like something none of us ever imagined. But if we pursue Jesus, we're living in a unique way that we are fulfilling his purpose for us. And so you have to ask yourself, do I believe that God planned for me, that he designed me, that he gifted me to change his world? Or honestly, really, do I want to change his world? Do I want to change it for the better? Do I want to change it for the better? And then you have to ask yourself, will I then participate in his plan? Will I participate in what he has planned? Will I participate in the activities and the opportunities he's placed before me? Will I participate in the gifts he's given me? Will I participate in the service he's, he, he has put there, even if I feel like it's beneath me, even if I feel like I don't want to do it today? I'm just tired. I'm tired of the mess. I'm tired of the gossip. I'm tired of the negativity. I'm tired. I just want to quit. But will you continue? Will you still get up and participate where God's placed you? Even if you don't know why, will you trust him in the journey? It may be today, whether you're in the room or you're watching online, what you need to do is accept his gifts. Accept his gifts, which begin with salvation. That's a gift he offers everyone. Believing that Jesus is God's son. That he died. He died so all of our sins would be forgiven and that we would not die in hell. And then he rose from the dead so we can live after we die. He rose from the dead so we can live after we die. And if you believe that, then you're saved right now in the moment. There's no magic words you gotta say. There's no cover charge you gotta pay to get into heaven. You just believe that. You know what Jesus said in John chapter 17, verse three? Eternal life doesn't begin when you die, it begins when you believe. So, if you believe now, you already have eternal life. You're already living your eternal life now. I've, I've said it before. I can't remember. I think it was Dallas Willard said that he wanted to live a life so dedicated to Jesus and so close to Jesus that when he died, it would take him a while to realize it. Let that sink in for a second. Man. Oh, this is different. That if you believe in Jesus, you have eternal life right now. Believe in Jesus today. Accept the gift of salvation. Accept the gifts that he's given you. Stop trying to, to, to live out the gifts of somebody else. Embrace the gifts he's given you. Because only you can fulfill God's purpose for you. Nobody else can. Only you. Only you can do it. And God designed you that way. He planned for you that way. He gifted you that way. So let's all live out his gifts together, unified with the common purpose of pursuing Jesus and pointing everyone to Jesus we possibly can.